0: Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about using your power to build authority. (laughs) (laughs) What
1: kind of power are you going to use, Jonathan?
0: I am a vampire. Everyone knows I'm a vampire. So So, this this spun out of a conversation that you had with uh, a colleague or a client
1: yeah a a coaching client we're having this conversation and i just thought it was would be interesting to talk about the different kinds of power that we use you know to build our authority to build a freelance business to build a consulting business um because i think there are ways to use power for good
0: Mm -hmm. great responsibility yes (laughs) so i i actually recommended um Flawless consulting recently to one of my students who is a consultant, and his mind is totally blown. And yeah. I, I feel like there's probably some overlap in the topic here uh, about the way that the way that you can use uh, your wiles inside of an engagement to actually have effective have a, an effective change take place and take root. But um, well, why don't you start? You, it sounded like you had a little list of kind of different characteristics. That you can bring to bear to increase trust and authority in the marketplace?
1: Yeah, well, I was kind of thinking about four kinds of authority. And I'm sure there's, if we talk about this, we may come up with some more or we may drop some into subcategories. But I think when we think about authority or about our authority businesses, we tend to think about it in terms of the power of expertise, Mm -hmm. right? The power of knowledge. And That's important, obviously, because we have a lot we can teach someone. We have a lot we can show them and demonstrate in the course of like a one-to-one or one-to-many kind of a project. But um, And this is the point um, Peter Block makes in in, um, Flawless Consulting, is that that power of expertise doesn't work if you don't get it used. And the way that you get your expertise used is often the other kinds of power. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things I realized, you know, when I started my career, I worked very briefly in a corporate environment where I could make, I mean, I was very junior, but I could make decisions. When I became a consultant, the first thing I realized was, oh, I'm not making decisions anymore. My power is to influence and not in the sense of, you know, Instagram influencer marketing, (laughs) but I've got the ability to influence a person, a team An organization and so how am I gonna do that and so when you know when you first start out it's really easy to say well you know I know this because I'm I'm an expert on this and I'm the consultant and you know you listen to me but then you realize that uh, that's fine for some things but it doesn't get you very far if you're working with a team of people and you're trying to make a change, like I'm thinking of um, the developer community, for example, who you know you're creating this website with all these different people, and you want to come out on the other end saying that you're the expert and it shall be this way, um, is not necessarily the way to you know influence people and make new friends and get the project done.
0: Yeah, get a positive outcome. I mean, it, it's you can have all inside of an organization. Uh, there are, there's all kinds of resistance to an outside consultant. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it can be very threatening or it can create like, in my world, it was very common for two kinds of reactions. One, there'd be technical people internally who wanted to do the project, but then I got, you know, cause it's fun, like some kind of <laughs> thing that they thought would be fun. And then I got brought in to do it. And so that there's resentment there. And the other thing, when, especially when I was doing work group software, for you know like say there's a team of 30 people at like a small ad agency or something like that and I've come in to redo their internal systems there's tons of fear of change because they're like they know the way that they do it and they go tab 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 tap tap type tab 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 type, tab 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 backspace tab you know and they've got this routine down that I'm going to in my opinion improve but to them now they don't know how to use it and there's a lot of panic and you really have to Win those people over or you know you can deliver the most brilliant piece of software but if you don't get any adoption for it then it's a failure so yeah you have to really learn some approaches you can't just say i'm the expert do what i say you have no you have you don't have that kind of boss power you don't have that like managerial authority you're just like they they everyone needs to trust you in a way
1: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the projects I did um, years ago were uh, either mergers, acquisitions and spinoffs. And one of the bigger mergers I did, I still remember we had, you know, I would facilitate a meeting and we would have, you know, it was like half and half, literally, they did it on purpose, like half of the people from company A and half the people were from company B. And as the facilitator, you know, I didn't have a vote. Mm -hmm. So the idea was, how do we get people from two different companies who are, you know, in fear that they're going to lose their job or this baby. And by baby, I mean, some program that they developed is going to get axed Mm -hmm. in the course of this merger. And I mean, you realize really fast, it doesn't matter how much, you know, it just, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't matter. What matters is how you can um, listen, how you can ask questions how you provide feedback, how you make sure, um, if not everybody, then most people get heard. I mean, again, it depends on the environment and how you're structuring the committees, but um, you have to find a way to get all of those people engaged and ask them questions, even when you know the answer, you think you know the answer. You have to ask the question. Right. And it's it's really hard when, you know, we've all been trained at the beginning of our career on how to be an expert or to be expert at what we do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those other skills, I hate calling them soft skills because I just think they're so important. Um, but th- those consulting skills, um, it, it's a form of power that you wield mm-hmm. when you use those and when you use them well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just want to make a point especially if you're consulting in an organization where there are a lot of politics, you can use your power for ill. (laughs) I've seen, I've seen it done. (laughs) And, you know, hopefully that's not intentional normally, but what happens is, um, that we have a sphere of influence when we go into an organization. And, you know, if you're doing like one-to-one coaching with one person, you're, you're hitting one person. If the person you're working with runs a team of 10, then you're hitting 11 people. And so you, you have to use your power for good, meaning, and here's what I mean by good, what is the outcome that you've been paid to facilitate or create Mm -hmm. what's the outcome and you have to know who the client is because it's not always obvious to people who the the end client is so who is the client and what's the outcome that everybody has signed on to and if they haven't all signed out onto an outcome then that's your first project
0: yep yeah i i uh thought of it as like multiple sales so like you get the sale sale you know they say yep Yep, this price is acceptable. Let's get started. And then you go in and you meet the people who are farther down the food chain, which are the ones that you're probably, you know, in my case, I would be working with, um, on and off throughout the course of the project. And like, now my next step was to sell them on the idea, not even like, and, and to come in and be like, Oh yes, I wrote the book on this. And Oh, look who made this pile of garbage. Like, how do you even get your job done? (laughs) Why do you put up with this and I'm gonna make this so much better. I'm gonna wave my magic wand and it's so obnoxious And I think probably anybody that's that's ever been seen by a doctor who had a terrible bedside manner knows what I'm talking about Like maybe maybe it's okay if your brain surgeon is arrogant because you're gonna be unconscious the whole time, but generally when you meet with a doctor You want to feel heard you want to feel like they listened and understood You want to you know if you if it's your regular primary care position physician what if they didn't remember you every time you went in there and you had to explain everything all over again like you know the air like you said air quotes soft skills not only change your experience of the service but i think it's fair to say can affect the quality of your care you know and i'm using the word care broadly so so using avoiding that kind of prima donna um god's gift to this area of expertise and being like look you know we're here to accomplish this result does everybody agree that this would be a good result and and i suppose we could go on a tangent here about how in a a hierarchical organization people in the hierarchy have their own personal goals that may or may not align with the overall project goal you know what I mean? So like they don't care about the project. They just want to get a bonus. And those two things might be in conflict.
1: Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's what happens. I mean, everybody that you come in contact with has the goal for the team. And then the inside, they have their own agenda. Everybody does. Everybody's got their own agenda. Not everybody's thought it through. It may be a really simple piece, but they have their own agenda what um, one of the ways that I, I learned about consulting before I actually became a consultant was I was in this large organization and uh, they would do the audit every year. So the accountants would come in like, like ants, right? And they'd take over the conference rooms. They're everywhere. Well, the area that I was involved in was like the lowest priority. So they gave me whoever the new one was that year. So these are people that are right out of college. It's their first year. And they came in and they would come to me and say, okay, I need this. I need this. I need this. I need this. Um, sometimes they would want to commandeer my desk and sit down to get access to what I had. They were the most obnoxious little minions I ever met in my life. And I remembered thinking, and, and the more senior ones were not like that. The more senior ones were, were cooler, but I remembered, you know, I had that in my head. And when I, when I first went into consulting, I was like, I am not going to be like those guys. Yes, I'm the new kid on the block, but I am not going to be that obnoxious one. I'm just not going to do it. And so, yeah, the minute you can put yourself into somebody else's shoes while still keeping the end result in mind, because that's your job, I mean, that's almost the definition of a, of a successful consultant.
0: Yeah, totally. So now, do you have a list of items that we could kind of explore individually, that sort of skills that people can use to help move a project toward a desirable outcome? Or is it more, you know, like you said before, charisma or?
1: Well, I think those are those are um, other kinds of power, quote unquote, that we can use not just for a project, but to grow our business. But um, I, I wouldn't say that I have a list of them. I would say Flawless Consulting does a good job of laying them out. Um, but I, what I would say is that... Um, When we're talking about consulting skills, the thing to remember in my mind is I feel like it's a mindset that you are there to advance the project. You are there for the ultimate outcome. Now, that doesn't mean that you can afford to be so myopically focused on that, that you don't pay attention to all of the people on the project. Um, you don't pay attention at their peril because at, at your peril, because sometimes that person who's really quiet is actually undermining everything that you're doing when you're not watching. <laughs> and so I'm not saying that we have to be everybody's friend, but I think of it as um, almost like a circle and that everybody's in the circle and you want to know where everybody is at all times and what they're doing and not in, you know, in, in a grandiose sense, but relative to your project. So that, um, you know, you get a vibe from somebody that they're not happy with what's happening. And so instead of ignoring that, you ask them, hey, Joe, I'm getting this sense that maybe this isn't working for you. What, what's going on? And then just be quiet. And listen to hear what they say. And that's that's what we're talking about in terms of a soft skill. And that is a power that you have that when you use it the first couple of times, you're not going to believe how much power that gave you in terms. Of, and when I say power, I mean um, in terms of getting the project done, not personal power. Right.
0: Yeah. So there's a there's a theme in flawless consulting, like a core theme that I wish I had heard 15 years ago uh, because I would go into projects as the expert. I'm the guy that wrote the book on this and I wasn't a jerk about it, but I, I didn't, I, I wanted to be a fit, you know, I, you know, me, I don't build by the hour. So I'd want to get things done fast and, you know, good, but fast. And so I'd go in and I'd be like, here's how you do it. This is what we're going to do. Da, 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 da. You know, and I'd kind of blast through it. And in some cases, and the thing, of, the thing that was really eye-opening in the book to me was that that is a particular style of consulting and probably not the most effective one. And I agree. In retrospect, I agree. There's another kind that he advocates, which I think in the book he calls collaborative, and it's less efficient, but more effective. And I can see clearly how I would have done things differently and probably been more effective, but it would have... It would have taken longer because you have to kind of bring bring along. You have to wait for everyone, not wait for them to catch. That sounds patronizing, but you have to bring people along with you. you. Can't just like run ahead and be like, "Okay, we won won the race. See ya!" And they're all still at the starting line. You have to shepherd everybody to the to the end point, and and it's a collaborative process. And for someone like me, it feels to do something like that would have felt extremely. Uh, um, clunky and slow and like baggage like lots of baggage but that's that's where buy-in comes from and if they if you don't have buy-in when you're gone they're just going to switch back to the old way like i i've had clients who you pay for a brand new system you deliver the new system and no one ever leaves the old system they just have this new system sitting there and they can't get the they can't get the people to switch to the new one they paid five or six figures for it And they, and they, I'll call, you know, whatever, we're in touch a year later. I see them in a conference and like, yeah, we're still in the old system. I'm like, what? It's crazy. It sounds crazy, but it makes sense to me now after reading that book. And if you're collaborative with them, you don't, it's not really more work. You're actually doing in, in a certain sense, you're doing less work because you're, you're, it's kind of like a.
1: Well, you're not undoing things. You do them once or maybe one and a half times instead of two or three.
0: Yeah, and and you're getting a lot of help. So, in other words, it's like maybe it's easy for me to like clean up the whole house, but if I can get the kids bought into it, it's actually less work. It's less cleaning for me, but it's more cajoling or whatever, mm-hmm. you, whatever you want to call this influence <laughs> influence thing. But it's more, it's better for the company overall because if their if their staff doesn't buy in, then it's not going to get adopted. And then what was the point?
1: I um, I had that lesson um, thrown home to me a number of years ago when I was at a big company and they'd asked us in to propose on something and there were two or three other firms proposing. And the guy was just, there was something off about him. I, I just like, I kind of instinctively didn't like him and I couldn't figure out what was going on. Like, why did I just not like him? And then at some point in the middle of the interview, he points to his bookcase and he had all these binders and they all had like these cool labels on the side. And he said, see those? I said, yeah. He said, those are all the other projects that we did that we didn't implement. Like he showed me like 10 binders. And so I remember my team was so mad at me afterwards. And I said, so why is this project different What about this is not going to make this a binder on the shelf? And he just looked at me and he goes, "I think it's going to be a binder on the shelf." And I am like, "I am out of here. We don't need to do a project to be a binder on a shelf."
0: Yeah, that's why that was a big reason why I left consulting was because I and and then I read Flawless Consulting after, and I was like, "Oh, ouch!" You know, one of the one of the times here is a quick anecdote that, or knowing me, probably not so quick, but. The, I went in to do a project that was going to take, it was probably going to take it 12 months. It was reasonably large and there was i I'm going to say it was about a 40 person team. It's not, not a giant company, but you know, it was, there were personal dynamics all over the place. There were a bunch of different departments, sales, they had an internal advertising department type of thing. Uh, They had customer support, you know, IT, they had all, all of the departments and and met with the owners, closed the deal. Everybody's very excited at, at the sort of C-suite level, and and I said, I just had this vibe that there were going to be saboteurs, either conscious or, or, or subconscious saboteurs, uh, after meeting with folks. And you know, same kind of thing. Like I got a vibe off some people where they were like, "Who the hell is this guy?" And, you know, it was down south and I was from the north, and there was just a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, you know, I, I wore like these awesome orange sneakers which really didn't fit in and I I just like a weirdo like who's this weirdo and uh and I said you know who's gonna be the biggest skeptic who's gonna be the toughest person to convince and everybody at the same time goes Karen and like literally her name was Karen and uh and I go okay uh and you know she was she had a she her job was like she was at the head of a department, but it was the last department in the food chain, meaning if anybody else was behind or anybody else screwed up, she was the firefighter. And so she she was the one that had to fix everybody else's mistakes at the last minute at 7 p.m. on a Friday. So she had every reason to be like that because she'd been burned and burned and burned and, and had a personality to match. And I actually, we, you know, long story short, we ended up being like bonding pretty closely because I came in and I said, I said, you know, Hey, you know, I'm just here to, to kind of see how the current system works. And, and I just want to promise you right up front that I am not going to do one single thing. That's going to make your job harder. Everything I do, I'm going to make your job easier. And, And if you say that I, you know, I come up with something and I say, here this this should be easier and you say no it's not easier i'm going to keep working until you tell me every single thing is easier than it used to be i want everything to be twice as easy as it used to be and she, she believed me she could have she could have called bs on me but i meant it and and as we started to roll out features i would have karen test it first and i'd be like is this better or is this worse and until she said it was better i kept working on it and what ended up happening was. You know, she got one over and then she and then she started saying stuff like this is amazing. And when everybody else heard Karen, who they all knew was going to be the skeptic, when everybody else heard Karen saying this is going to be amazing, then they were all like, awesome. The new thing's going to be amazing. Like they all got excited, you know. Right. And so was it was it more work for me? I mean, not really. It was just different work and it was more it was less about, you know, banging out an interface and making sure the tab order was correct and more about getting buy-in. And if I hadn't done that, then first of all, the thing that I built probably wouldn't have been easier for her. It would have been "air quotes" better, but not easier for her. And th- which would have she would have rejected it she would have fought it she would have stayed in the old system she would have said to the bosses i can't get my job done in this new system and everybody knows i have to get my job done or we don't make any money so it would have been like a giant battle but that that because i you know i spent like a little extra time at the beginning then that just it didn't happen it was a big success
1: there's something else in, in buried in that story that i think is important which is ego And in order for you to do that, you had to set aside any ego that you might've felt about it being, you know, perfect the way you would design it. Right. And, you know, when you start, when any of us start working collaboratively, that ego tends to get tamped down or we, you know, we need to tamp it down because that's what happens is all of a sudden we're not just looking at something through our eyes, but we're looking at it through someone else's. Mm -hmm. And just because we thought going in that this approaching it this way would be perfection doesn't mean that that's still going to be true once you actually start working. What is 100%. it? No, no plan survives confrontation with the enemy. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and so that's what I like. Uh, one of the things I like about that story is is you know sublimating our ego to in service to the project. It doesn't mean that we have to be somebody's whipping boy, but it you know it does mean we don't have to be on a high horse and right all the time.
0: Yeah, like the like the first the way that we initially plan to solve the problem doesn't have to be the way. It might not actually, you know, you might learn that that really wouldn't be the best way, or maybe it would have worked, but so would 10 other ways. So let the team collaborate. Like you said, just say your ego aside and like, maybe you think there's like a a more, um, you know, platonic ideal of the approach or the interface or the design or whatever it is, but so what? Like, if the, if the way the team wants to do it is going to get them to the goal and they're going to feel ownership over it, that's probably more effective in the long run than you jamming your beautiful design down their throat. And I do I do want to make a quick comment, though. I I draw the line at anything that I would consider to be professional malpractice. Like, if they ask me to do something like, ah, just store the credit cards in the database in plain text. It's like, no, not doing that. <laughs> or, uh, and you know, right. any security stuff or things where um, the, the system is going to be incredibly brittle and flimsy or, you know, like certain things where like engineering type things, like, no, we're not building the bridge like that because it will fall down. And that's not, that's not acceptable to me, but there's tons of latitude in between that malpractice and your one true way that if you can be flexible in there and just keep your i take all of my ego and i put it on the on the project success not any activity that i'm doing along the way right so right. The, I, if the, if the project is not a success for the business that's going to hurt my ego i don't need to have ego along the way to be like well i'm the expert and this is the right way to do it like what a way to turn off a room mm-hmm. you know it's like yes. the worst
1: yes yeah and and it's funny because you know this is the business of authority right we're talking about authority but it's the new authority this is not the authority where it's a boss having the the last word saying you will do this or you're fired right but it's it's getting your authority your expertise used mm-hmm. cuz it doesn't do any good just balled up in a box
0: <laughs> yes yeah, so if there's anyone out there who was me 10 years ago ramming their expertise down people's throats and can't figure out why it doesn't work, <laughs> <laughs> then you might want to check out Flawless Consulting by Peter Block. It was very eye-opening for me. There's another book I read recently. I think it was called Buy-In. Uh, the author's name is slipping my mind, but we can link to it in the show notes. That goes through through like a dozen types of objection, And it starts with an allegory about, you know, uh, someone who's trying to get a, um, the, the toughest kind of thing, standing up in front of a room, like the school department meeting, and they are trying to get a new initiative through where the school department spends X dollars and they get all new computers. And you can imagine a room full of people from the town throwing all kinds of like, no way that money could be spent better we tried to do this last year and it, and it was a disaster. We tried to do this (laughs) a long time ago and it was a disaster or the computer companies just trying to lock us into, I mean, comes up with all of these different objections that you could totally hear like, you're like, yep, that's what would happen. And then it breaks them down into the type of objection and how to not combat it, but it's more like a judo move. It's like, it's like how to kind of like let it, come in listen to it not necessarily i mean think about it but just like not just bat it away with a tennis racket but like okay i hear you like uh, and a lot of it is about listening which you mentioned earlier it's just like yep i hear you i understand here's we thought about that here's what we're thinking what do you think about all of these factors that we're considering it's very 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 interesting book
1: cool yeah let's put Uh, that in in the show notes yes yes well and then I think you know I think we should talk about this idea of the power of charisma, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've just like I've just read like a paragraph of a book on this that I think is going to be fascinating. It's called um, uh, "Creating the Charisma Myth" by mm. Olivia Fox Cabane, I think. Um, but what I love about her premise is that uh, charisma can be taught.
0: Oh, really? And
1: it can be learned, yes. Yeah. So I'm thinking, if I love this book, we need to have her on the show. Um, yeah, so this idea of charisma, I mean, I always think of, you know, like political figures like Kennedy or Clinton, you know, that had mm. great personal charisma. Um, and But really what I'm talking about is not, like, I'm not talking about something that is fake Or, you know, where you like you turn around, like I'm thinking of like when I used to go to a long time ago, uh, Washington, D.C. parties never happened in any other city. But people are always looking over your shoulder to see if there's somebody more important than you to talk to. (laughs) You know, that is not charisma. (laughs) You know, the charisma is, you know, really putting your attention on people. And to me, one of the biggest um, aspects of charisma is that you're curious about people. Mm. And so you ask them questions. And you know, you get them talking about what they love and what they're interested in, or how they did some. Thing, you know, some stories from their life or their work, um, you know, their hobbies, whatever those are. That, that is a big measure of charisma. And when I think about, you know, when we're consulting with a team of people, like on a big website project or like on a big, um, marketing redo, there's that simple process of being interested in people. Mm, yeah. in the course of those project meetings it, i mean it's huge
0: it's huge it, it cannot be overstated and and it's wild to think of charisma being uh you know cuz you you know as a as an early 80s dungeons and dragons player i <laughs> think an 18 charisma was a characteristic of you but it never really you know you don't i never thought of it as um like how it was actually because it's not like how hot you are like that's like because no. you can definitely anybody can list off like 10 people that are like a, a perfect 10 that are just unbearable mm-hmm. uh, so it's not it's definitely not physical appearance and it, i never really thought about how charisma would be transmitted like how would you in project not project like how would you exude charisma and it you're totally right it's listening it's giving a crap mm-hmm. about the other person and genuinely being interested in them, because I mean, you, what's the what's the quote like? Like if you want someone to think you're a scintillating conversationalist, get them talking. Yes. Yeah, yeah. it totally works.
1: And I just read something yesterday, it wasn't in the in that book, I'm trying to remember where I saw it, but um, it was a, a photographer who was photographing Marilyn Monroe, and she wanted to make a point to him that she could be invisible, or she could be Marilyn Monroe. So he took her into uh, Grand Central Station in New York, and they went down by some trains, and they actually put her on a train, he took pictures of her by the train, nobody paid any attention to her. None. And this was at the height of her celebrity. Um, So then they went into the main terminal and she said, now watch to him. She moved her head. She smiled a certain way. And all of a sudden, it was like lightning went through the room.
0: (laughs) And they started
1: to like jump on her practically. And the photographer had to like pull her out of Grand Central Station because, you know, it, it was a mob scene. Wow. And it was just, and she, and she you know, she, she basically said, you know, that's a character I play, and when I'm Marilyn, I just turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's about more than listening in that particular case. Yeah, but but still, and she didn't change her clothes, she didn't change her hair. It was the way she held her head and the way she um, she posed for a photo in a very dramatic way. Wow! And it, all of a sudden, oh yeah, that's Marilyn Monroe. <gasps> So, yeah. And it's, you know, I think sometimes when I think back to different meetings, I've had, you know, in-person meetings where you see everybody and you see the body language and especially some board meetings, um, you know, Fortune 500 board meetings that I've been a part of. it's There's a lot of posturing. And it's so interesting when you really meet the people with charisma because you can instantly tell who they are when you walk into a room. Mm. And it's not just that when they stand up, they look elegant and they speak perfectly and they're maybe like very tall. So they're physically commanding, but it's how they include other people.
0: Yes. Yes. This is a perfect segue into a book. I don't know if I've talked about it on this show, uh, but it's called Impro by Keith Johnstone.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: it is, it's one of those books that once you read it, you can't unsee what it's about. And it's about status games. And what you just described is someone who's a master of status games where they are, they project high status, but then they give you the status and, and they let it go, they let it flow back and forth. So like, they don't, it's not like they're up on this pedestal and they stay there. It's like Mm -hmm. they show up on the pedestal and then they come down and put you on it. And it's like, oh, that, like that is a perfect example. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's a more sophisticated, subtle version of just listening, like just listening is kind of like one way to have a, to, to transfer status. But this book is like it's it'll you'll laugh out loud because it's a, it's a theater book. And the guy has his students who are learning how to act and do improv, has them play status games and they'll and he's like, OK, now switch status. And 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 even in just a book, just the dialogue, you can see it happening and it's just hilarious. It is hilarious to see like people play with it and kind of throw the status ball back and forth it's well there's
1: there's a it's generosity is how i think of it it's there are people who are quote unquote famous Mm -hmm. right and they're on that pedestal and they don't want anybody else on that pedestal with them but Mm -hmm. there are others who are reaching the hand and pulling the person up And those are people that we want to know. And it doesn't matter what sphere they're in. I mean, I'm thinking of a lot of authors, for example, that do podcasts, um, they do podcast interviews. And you can tell the generous ones from the non-generous ones.
0: Big time. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it's immediately obvious
0: cool. So what's, what's the takeaway here? Like what is the action item besides reading a bunch of books?
1: (laughs) Well, I I just, let me add one though, um, which can tie to charisma in theory, but it's the power of relationships. It's who, you know, and it's not, you know, that, you know, you know, 20 famous people, but it's who, you know, who cares about you and vice versa. That's another kind of a power. And, you know, these are all interrelated in my mind. And when you think about, you know, as you're consulting, you're developing relationships. Like the website project you described, you know, you developed a relationship with Karen.
0: Yeah. I and still remember my, her name. It's like 10 years later.
1: Yeah. And my guess is that that relationship held for a while. And maybe Karen even referred business to you or gave you a positive reference if you needed one. Mm-hmm. So the, you've got this, you know, you're building relationships and there's power in that. Yeah. It's it's who we know, how we're connected. You know, I always think of it like a spider web and it's all the different people we know at all different levels, doesn't matter. I mean, it's fun to know somebody who's just starting their career and it's fun to know somebody who's just ending theirs and everybody in between for different reasons. But there, if you go into these situations with the idea that you want to come out with relationships, again primary goal is the outcome of the project that's the thing you're always pushing that's your job Mm -hmm. but you can come out of these with some really great relationships Mm -hmm. you know i'm thinking um i had a a client who was a um, he was a, a VP, you know, C-suite of a Fortune 500 company. And he, he asked me to talk to one of his junior people who I'd been working with pretty closely. And he said, can you please talk to her and tell her she needs, you need to convince her. She's debating between getting an MBA and getting this professional certification. And I really want her to get the certification. Will you talk to her? I said, of course I will. And so I talked to her and I said, so what's going on? You know, your boss wanted me to talk to you about this. What are you thinking about? So she described it and she said, well, what do you think? I said, well, I got to tell you, I- I'd go for the MBA if it was me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, oh, that's where I'm at. and Which is what she wound up doing. And we have been friends ever since. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, because, you know, I, I couldn't, Tell her to do something I didn't believe in. I only told her boss I would talk to her. I knew what he wanted the outcome to be, but it was the wrong outcome. Yeah, in my in yeah. my view. So so it's building relationships, you know, with integrity, with transparency. Um, I you know I just think that that's another power. I just yeah. want to make sure we squeeze that in,
0: right? So so for the engineer types in the crowd, of which I am one, uh, if you're if you're doing consulting in a lots of situations you're going to be on these projects where maybe you've had the experience that I had uh, many times where you delivered a great piece of work, a great work product, and just no one used it. And it's super frustrating. And I'm sure even if you're a super duper engineer, you're bummed out by that because you put your heart and soul into it. And the thing is amazing and no one cares. So if, if that has been your experience, then the advice here is, you know if you when you start a project first of all make sure you know what the goal is make sure you know what the business outcome is that everybody's driving toward and not just that you're going to create this beautiful piece of work it it needs to have a business goal they're paying you money and they're expecting to get a positive roi on that investment so what is the goal and then make sure everybody's on the same page with the goal and then at all levels people that you interact with you need to get this sort of you know use your power one way or another To make sure that everybody's contributing to the goal, you know, and everyone's kind of going in the same direction and that might mean figuring out their true motivation and aligning those things or there's a lot to it outside of, you know, building the rails app or making the react app or whatever the whatever the technical thing is that you do. And if you do that. You're going to end up with these really good relationships like long-term relationships and referrals mm-hmm. and people are just going to like build a statue of you outside of the building and just be like this was yeah. the you know instead of being a binder on the shelf
1: and, the, and those people leave that organization and they go to other places so you think oh yeah but that's a that's a once in a business lifetime project Maybe it is, but they leave and go somewhere else and they mm-hmm. do another once in a lifetime project. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's not really competitive. It's really you. And maybe they ask, you know, especially if it's Fortune 500, they need a couple of bids, but they're not asking you to bid. They ask you to come in, and talk about what you're going to do, listen and propose. And, you know, you've got the inside track. That's, I mean, careers are made on things like that.
0: Totally. Great. Any stones left unturned?
1: Um, no. I mean, I think it's not... A, I was thinking about your engineer um, archetype that you described. And I think the one way to think about this without it being intimidating is not that you have to make a bunch of friends on every project you're working on, but that if you keep true to the project and you keep asking questions and you care about the people, you know, you care about the project, but you care about the people and the process, you know, you're going to develop a relationship or two here and there in spite of yourself. That's all it takes. <laughs> you do not have to go in being some like new business um, queen to to do that or the person who's, you know, talking every five seconds. You can do it by being an introvert. Um, it's just about caring in fact i would argue introverts are often better at this than extroverts because we actually listen Mm
0: -hmm. yeah Yeah, totally so yeah i mean i think that's that's the you said sort of middle of the episode like that's that's consulting like if you want to call yourself a consultant then this is part of the game um you know if not go be an expert witness or something (laughs) 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 but uh true yeah okay that's probably enough out of us All right. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: And I'm Rochelle Moulton.
0: And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.